All right, question one, try to answer in a minute. This time of isolation and in thinking about the cross, I think has served to remind me just how close Jesus really is. Being isolated for the last couple of weeks has definitely uh, changed the way uh, I think I look at the sacrifice that Jesus made um, and put kind of a new lens on that complete separation he had from his Heavenly Father. It must have been very lonely being alone, suffering, more so hanging on the cross it must have been very difficult. I can't even imagine um, Jesus and how, how much he was suffering and how scary and lonely it must have been. Understanding what Christ went through, I knew that his sacrifice was big on the cross, but imagining him being so alone and that isolation and wondering what was gonna happen next must have been very difficult. So it just reminds me of how much Christ sacrificed for us. It gives you almost just a small glimpse into maybe what God went through, what Jesus went through on the cross. You know, honestly, there have been a, a few days throughout this experience that have been really tough. It has reminded me a lot of how much we need community for our faith, how much we need community for our emotional and mental needs. Isolation has really opened up our eyes to a lot of where a lot of people have fear and a lot of people are very scared. I believe we are created as uniquely individual parts of the whole and perfect web of humanity. So we're linked by relationship, not only to God, but to each other. So when we get separated by something like COVID, or even when we separate ourselves by something like hate or fear or pride, we're literally ripping apart that web and disrupting that perfect tension we are created to exist in. The closer we got to the cross, the more alone he felt. Through all of it, you also see that he never lost his intense need for connection. And we all have that same need for connection, now and, and always. We used to breathe easy around people. We'd laugh, we'd shake hands, we'd hug, you remember that? There were times when these actions would bring us closer together. That is not the situation anymore. Today we don't have the same sort of proximity that we did before and we find ourselves in a strange moment in human history. That which has brought us together, again proximity, well it's not the mitigating factor about whether or not we're a church anymore. Because church isn't about who you sit next to or who you hug on the way in or the seats. Church just became the invisible body of Christ again. That invisible body that's connected by this invisible web that connects us all together. You're watching it today. And we want to even acknowledge that many of you have never had Easter with Crosswalk before. Just so you know, we welcome you as family. And not distant family, but immediate family. If you're here, of course, you belong. Back in the early 2000s, there was this band that I really liked. They were local, which was cool, and they were Christian, which was great too. They were called Altogether Separate, and maybe that was a prophetic name. They had this song called Paradigm, and the chorus calls out that the paradigm keeps shifting, but we can stand solid. And I'm not sure that there's been more prophetic words that have been spoken about a faith like Christianity. 
Because, I mean, let's face it, the gospel has moved through a million different paradigm shifts, through different cultures, time periods, through technological advances, languages, even iterations of the church and worship and identification. However, there's one reason that in the midst of all these shifts in paradigms, these shifts of worldview and understanding, that we can stand solid. And that is simply because of the cross of Christ. That's it. And while we spend and have spent a great deal of time over the last six weeks talking about the event and the words that came from the cross, the coming of the cross of Christ was a target for much earlier on in the ministry of Jesus. John Stott, that incredible biblical scholar, tells us that in his baptism, he identified himself with sinners as he was to do fully on the cross. And in his temptation, he refused to be deflected from the way of the cross. You see, everything stands in the shadow of the cross. The cross was coming from the beginning as well. In Genesis chapter 3, we recognize that there was a plan put in place. Now, in general terms, the plan was that the son of the woman would be victorious over the offspring of the snake and that there would be triumph in the end. This is the first time we hear about the plan. But even in the midst of all this, the paradox of the cross remains with us today. To die is to gain, to suffer is victory, and his death leads to our life. But simply for this reason, Christ died for us. His death, altruistic and even beneficial for us. While the mechanism was a humanity that missed the point, Christ went to his death willingly, unwilling to come down with the power of his divinity to save himself. And the truth is, Christ died for us that he might bring us closer to God. 1 Peter 3.18 says that that we might be brought safely home to God through the death of Jesus. And Christ died for our sins. Our sins were this wall, kind of this impenetrable wall that were preventing us from being fully connected, fully aware, and fully alive with God. The majority of the writers in the New Testament, and certainly the major writers in the New Testament, all were believers in this construct. Christ died for our sins once and for all, says Peter. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, says Paul. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, says John. He offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, says the book of Hebrews. It's impossible to overestimate the power of the cross in all of these shifts in paradigms that the gospel has lived through. The paradigm shift that we are experiencing today, this global pandemic, that for all intents and purposes is actually supposed to peak this week right after Easter in many parts of the U.S. It might be a challenge to many people's faith. And it may not just shake their faith in humanity, but it may shake their faith in Jesus as well. And it might push them from a focus on the cross to a focus on the end of time with all its eschatological anxiety wrapped up as well. I would counsel against that today. I would counsel against moving to the end of time too quickly. Because on this day, 2,000 years ago, there was a beginning of a new time, not the end time, but a new time that was being ushered in. When we remain here with a deep and abiding focus on the cross, 
We are allowed to be hopeful, not just because we have the benefit of knowing that Sunday is coming and the resurrection is here, but because we know that the power that was exercised and even relinquished on the cross of Christ that day. The sun went dark, the curtain was torn, and the earth shook. All of these were signs of God's deep anguish over His Son's sacrifice. We mourn. We mourn for a loss of freedom, for a loss of proximity, for loss of opportunity. But on this day, God mourned and grieved for the loss of His Son, a Son that came to save the world, not to judge and condemn it. As we've studied the cross, the words Jesus said, the characters that led up to and away from the cross, I'm thinking of Simon of Cyrene, the daughters of Jerusalem, the centurion who declared the innocence of Jesus, the crowd, his mother, and the beloved disciple John to whom he gave each other. We're reminded day in and day out of the incredible sacrifice and the incredible focus that Jesus had on his mission, on his task to save us. He did not give up his spirit until he knew that the mission had been completed and had been accomplished. And that mission was from God. Then and only then was he willing to say, it is finished and release his spirit. Until then, he was holding on to the last moment. And when that was said and his breath was given away, only then did the quiet take over. Now, before the quiet take over, the earth quaked and the sun went dark and the curtain was torn, forever denying a separation from God. But when these instances happened, the earth exhaled and became quiet. And why quiet? Why not rage and undulate for the next few days? Why did the angels not come and desiccate the earth with their rage and anger over the death of even their Savior? Well, the reason why is because it was Sabbath and the earth needed a breath, a break. And his followers needed to pray and begin to make sense of what had just happened. And they needed to find their courage courage in the midst of a storm is a hard thing to find. The darkened Sabbath ahead of them was to be a bridge to new light. While they were in the darkness, they needed to find hope. For, for them, hope was not yet found in the resurrection of Jesus, for that had not yet happened. Rather, they had to find hope in the community of Christ in the darkest of times. Hope is not knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Hope is being in the midst of the darkness, believing that there is light, even when you can't see it. Theirs was a dark and treacherous Sabbath that they had to endure. Because they could not yet see the resurrection, they had to look to the cross for hope and for understanding and for the strength to carry on. Our moment of darkness may well be here, in the midst of this pandemic, but the cross of Christ reminds us of the power of our Savior to render neutral even our biggest and thickest walls that seem to keep us from God. We are isolating, but we are not alone. They are no more. Those walls don't exist, all because of the cross of Christ and what it did for us. In the end, 
because of what Jesus has done. We are all the body of Christ. So let us not forget what Jesus did on the cross. Of course, changed us, even in the midst of the darkest night. So the time of silence, we don't know for sure what they were thinking, but I can only imagine that they were feeling despair and discouragement, not unlike what probably most of us have been feeling these last few weeks. So that feeling of not knowing what was gonna happen, that discouragement and anxiety is really pertinent today. We worry about what's going to happen and what's to come. This time of silence that we're going through has for me been a space to do a lot of self-reflection and contemplation. In times of silence, um, it reminds me of the different ways that we all worship. God has been reminding me to not necessarily worship in the way that it might be my initial instinct, but to use my mouth and my ears proportionately and to listen more and to be more open. I've been able to get a lot of peace from the Bible where um, you have all these stories of people who had no idea what was going on or they felt so disconnected or so unaware and they just kind of looked to Jesus and every time he had an answer, even if it wasn't necessarily what they wanted. I think about those that are mourning and that are suffering through this time. Back then, it was so quiet and filled with confusion because the people did not know what was gonna happen next and they had no idea. The silence now, we can take it as an opportunity to listen and to be still and to process what we need to process. Um, it's a very sacred silence. interim moment when time stood still, strange as this was kind of the intent of the day from creation, when God took a break, when the earth exhaled and stood still. God was not tired or exhausted from creating. He took a moment so that we might have a model of reflection, a holy moment, this sacred space in which to remember, to remember the good and the tragedy, the sacred and the secular and how it all plays out into our lives. On that holy week, we needed to stop. We needed to take a beat. To go from crucifixion to resurrection without a pause would be to diminish its importance and to miss the point. For us not to reflect, to dwell, and to abide in the death of God would not only be a wasted teachable moment, but it would reflect our unwillingness to sit with the uncomfortable truth about our own sin, our sickness, our virus. It needed an antidote. Those hours of confusion, of quiet reflection, and of course of deep fear were just what we needed in order to fully appreciate and not take for granted what would be given on that great resurrection morning. We can almost feel what they felt as we are also living in what feels like a dark Sabbath. The earth is slowed. Humanity has stepped into their homes, not because we wanted to, but because we're dealing with this profound and pronounced loss. For us, it is the virus we call COVID-19 but it reflects a bigger and truer state that we were in without an antidote. And vaccines and antidotes, you know, they take time. 
For thousands of years, we tried to find an antidote to our sin and to our desperation. We tried laws. We tried human machinations to become closer to God. We at times even supplanted the concept of God with our own concepts of deity and what they would need to truly be on our side. We made idols. We sacrificed to them. We believed in our own competency. We even denied the existence of God in order to find the vaccine to our virus of sin. But we could not create the pharmacy that we needed. You see, we'd gotten it wrong. The antidote for our sin, the vaccine for our virus had been with us all along. It had always been Jesus who was there with God at the beginning and who was God. We see that in John 1.1. He had always held things together, Colossians 1.19. And he had always been willing to condescend or to come down with a humility that we rarely show to one another as humans. And at just the right time, while we were still sinners, he came to save us. The culmination of this life being taken on the cross was the vaccine we needed, but we needed time to process it. We needed time to understand. Had he died and been resurrected the very next moment, we would have taken for granted his sacrifice and we would not have understood the desperation of living in his absence. What did you take for granted before you sheltered in place, before you were placed on lockdown, or at least were social and physical distancing? What would you not have known you needed until it was gone? And when our lives are resurrected again, Without these restrictions, what will you move to first? Will it just be the shaking of hands? The hugs at church? Or just the simple transaction at a supermarket without the fear of transmission? We couldn't have recognized this without pause. This Sabbath, this waiting gave those disciples and those in the upper rooms and their companion the opportunity to recognize the missing, to recognize the loss of proximity to their Savior, their friend, their Jesus. Had Jesus simply died and then stepped off the cross, while this would have been miraculous, they would not have had to process this sense of loss. And we need to process our sense of what we've lost this year. Students coming home. We've missed funerals and weddings, family and community gatherings. We've lost church, it feels like. All this must be recognized, it must be processed, and it must be grieved, and we must find resiliency in the midst of this loss and grief. This is not even to mention those who are suffering from the disease itself. Who would have thought we would mourn a trip to Costco in our lives? And while it may seem silly, there's truth to this. Without our ability to grieve this, we lose a bit of our ability to appreciate what has been given and what will be given again. The glory and excitement of Sunday morning happened because of the deep desperation of a dark and dormant Sabbath. It was not the calm before the storm. It was the aftermath of a tornado. It was the rubble of lives that had been seemingly lost in their purpose, their trajectory, and their will and desire to continue on. What was about to happen the next day was not known, was not expected. It was not even dreamed. I mean, what are the prayers that you pray 
because they prayed silly prayers, unreasonable prayers. They hoped for a miracle that wasn't even worth hoping for. They had seen Jesus raise Lazarus, but they couldn't fathom that from an end comes a new beginning that would be better than anything that had gone before, brighter and more beautiful than they could have imagined. They hadn't been through this before, so they had no hindsight. They didn't know Sunday was coming. All they had was a ridiculous hope that God can do undoable things. In their desperation, they prayed the prayers of the unreasonable. Even they felt they were. They did not yet have the hope of Sunday and resurrection. They had just unreasonable desperation, asking for things they weren't sure God could even do. Are the prayers we pray in our time of crisis equally as silly and equally as unreasonable? But are they equally as hopeful? The Sabbath we experience on Easter is a reminder of the time spent in darkness before the glory comes. One of the things I'm missing about not going to church are the lights. They're nuanced. They take a lot of time thinking about how they're going to design the lighting so there's the most impact. And what I love is right after a darkness, there's an explosion of light. And that explosion of light is what the disciples would experience eventually. But they didn't know because they were living in the darkness. They were living in the break on that Sabbath. They were living on the bridge from death to life. They were waiting for the incredible breaking through of light, not just in a darkened room, but in a darkened world. The dark Sabbath gave them a beat, gave them a moment and a time to recognize what had just happened, as well as a time to hope for what might be coming. And in the quiet, you can feel the kinetic energy of the earth as it trembles. One of the things that I'm going to look forward to the most when we get out of this quarantine is coming back to our normal Sabbaths. As much as I've loved the quiet Sabbaths with my family, I've really missed the congregational worship with our community and the recharge that it gave me at the end of a busy week. The other thing that I can't wait to get back to is being in the classroom with my students. I am so ready for this to be over. Um, when it is, I have such a list of things I want to do. Um, but I'm really excited to go back to church, honestly, and have my church community. For sure, playing basketball. I got new shoes that I have not had a chance to wear on the court, and I am dying to ball out on the court. We're going to cherish maybe the time that we've had with others, or maybe the things that we can't do now. I look forward to the growth that we all will have gone through and will continue to go through. What I'm looking forward to most is hugging my family. To be in church, to be with the community. Going to coffee with my best friend again. Handshakes, just dapping up the bros. So I'm really hopeful to connect with all my Crosswalk family in person. Um, I really miss hugging my parents and uh, my loved ones. Be able to like hug people and high five them and not stand six feet apart. My kid being able to play with his friends. It's going to be so sweet when he can run and laugh and play and be with his friends up close and personal. When I think about us being able to be with the people we haven't been able to be with for a while, 
That's going to be good, man. I can't wait for that. And, you know, that's, that's going to be a, 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 a taste and a reminder of, you know, of what, of what heaven's going to be like, man, y'all got me tearing up in this. The night gives way to morning. If you've ever had insomnia of any sort, you know that the morning can give sweet relief. And that morning wasn't any different. Before the sun even rose, there were women running to fulfill the duty to prepare the body for that long sleep of death. They literally were getting there before the sun came up. But when they got there, well, well you know the story, right? They were told he wasn't in the tomb anymore. While on the cross, Jesus could not see beyond the portals of the grave. And yet, as they looked at the tomb, they couldn't see Jesus because he had broken the darkness. He had left the tomb because the tomb is no place for the living. His burial clothes have been put away neatly as if there were time in the process of resurrection to take a moment to recognize the work that he had done and make sure everything was prepared for that work. What a strange detail to put into the narrative. The smallest detail that shows us that Jesus was ready to walk out of that grave, to put right what had been broken, and to usher in a kingdom that had already won its battles over death, dying, and sin. It was our antidote. There was nothing more to do than to fold his clothes, make his bed, and walk out of the grave. But I wonder if he ran. I wonder. I wonder if he had so much to do, so many people to tell, so much to make right that he ran out of that grave. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And it was probably the darkness that was running that day. For darkness even though it thought it was victorious. It thought it had won the war of attrition that it had been waging since creation. Perhaps it forgot the prophecy in Genesis, but I doubt it. It knew. It was the darkness that was running from the light of the risen God. Darkness that was being trampled that day. Jesus took a beat. He folded his linens and he made the darkness tremble because that's what Jesus does. For in this one swift move, he overcame the dark Sabbath. He was victorious over the wages of sin and his worth could never be ignored or diminished again. He wasn't simply a human, but he was divine as well. 100% human and now 100% divine as well as it has always been. But he folded the linens that held his divinity as shrouded, as covered. And now he was allowed to shine in his full deity. And it made the darkness tremble. The glory of the resurrection was electricity in the air. It was the crackling of lightning and the explosion of volcanoes. It was the earthquakes and the hurricanes. It was the thousand candles pushing back 
the darkness. He folded his linens and let his divinity reverberate into the universe. And the universe had been waiting. It had been waiting. Just as when he was born, the hosts of angels, those that had appeared to the shepherds and cried out that peace was established on earth, so now the angels, very much in a different way, would have been instrumental in pushing back the darkness with songs of victory and candles of hope that were about to connect every believer together for eternity. We're living in that reverberation. We can still feel the darkness tremble when the name of Jesus is spoken into it. His name is alive and his name it can't be overcome because he is the overcomer. He waged the war against sin and he came out victorious. He established a new kingdom and he is king over that kingdom. Without his deep and abiding victory, we never would have been able to say simply that there is hope for us amidst this crisis, this virus, this storm, this life. The story of the crucifixion is the story of the resurrection, is the story of us. And whether we are in the same room or simply connected by the invisible body of Christ, our proximity to him has never been closer. We will weather this dark time because in the end, the only thing that overcomes darkness is light. And this light is the light of the world. This light is Jesus Christ.